Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And good morning, everyone. We welcome you into our pregame coverage presented by J.P. Roofing and Siding of Pirates and Reds. Fourth and final game of the series at PNC Park this afternoon. Comes your way at 135. We'll hear from Ben Charrington in just under an hour. The uh, first-year Bucko general manager will take to the airwaves, and uh, he'll answer... I guess a few burning questions that the Pirates have with, uh, you know, the remaining 21 days uh, of this 2020 season. Uh, now who's going to play center field on the regular basis, and what are they going to do with Mitch Keller when he returns as he inches closer from his oblique injury? But the Pirates coming off a 6-2 to defeat last night to Cincinnati, checking in at 12-26. and Ten games back in the National League Central Division, the fewest wins in Major League Baseball. Meanwhile, the Reds are trying to keep their fading playoff hopes alive as they're 18-22. and They are five back in the National League Central Division race. Dan Zangrilli and Jack Zarenzi, glad to have you along. Jay-Z, uh, I guess we start with uh, another tough loss, but more so on the injury re- uh, front, our injury report from Blueberry Pharmacy. Visit BlueberryPharmacy.com. Anthony Alford in what looked to be just a nondescript play, trying to go back on a ball that eventually went over the wall in one of the uh, four home runs that the Reds hit last night, three from Eugenio Suarez. Uh, he fractures his right elbow. Didn't look all that bad, but, Jack, uh, I don't know what in the world happened. Maybe he hit a support underneath that padded wall or, or what the deal was. But uh, a promising waiver claim by the Pirates that you're thinking Anthony Alford could really turn into something after he falls in your lap, coming from the Toronto Blue Jays organization, whom Derek Shelton was familiar with, whom Ben Sherrington and Steve Sanders, the GM and the AGM respectively, very familiar with. A lot of upside, and just like that, an opportunity to play seemingly every day for the rest of this year just goes up in smoke. That's a tough one. You know, cause here's a young man that, he basically was a football player that lost a lot of time in his, um, let's say, 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age dedicated to football. Now he's a full-time baseball player. He gets an opportunity to play pretty much on a regular basis. There's promise. There's athletic ability. You know, he's a primo athlete being a quarterback. Uh, and it's just very unfortunate because, like you said, it looked really like nondescript, and the ball went over the fence, so he really had no play. But – you know, however he hit that wall, and just one of those freak things, and it's probably going to be missed the remainder of the year, and that's pretty sad. And this lost time, it's tough to make up because you want this kid to get as much as playing time as you possibly can for himself as well as for you to evaluate him, but that's gone by the wind now. Here's what Derek Shelton said about the injury postgame. I'm sure it's probably hard to put into words, but just how you feel for a guy like Alfred who was getting this opportunity and then, you know, deals with that injury. Yeah, I mean, it honestly, it makes me a little sick to my stomach just because no, knowing, you know, the opportunity he has right now, uh, and then even more so knowing the person and the kid, and just to see the pain and, and anguish in his eyes, it just, uh, it, it's difficult. And, you know, it's something that we got to move through, but uh, I definitely feel for him. Jack, you know, a lot of things have not gone the Pirates' way this year, um, especially from the health perspective, this just being another example, but 
One thing that did go their way was getting a guy like Alford the way that they got him. These sort of uh, pennies from heaven, if you will, they don't exactly happen on a regular occurrence uh, where you're able to get this type of athlete into your system without essentially giving up anything. Let's just discuss what his acquisition was to begin with, which makes, I guess, the injury situation and the, the manner in which it happened last night sting all the more. It does, because as we talked about the trade deadline, when people were thinking that Ben was inactive, they should have done this, they should have done that, and I was saying, well, he's been active. You know, he's done some things. He just hasn't made a trade. But, you know, with the pickup of Farmer, who's been released, and a few, you know, a couple other pitchers, and then this waiver claim, and you scratch your head and you wonder really what happened, you know, why he's out of options apparently. So he had to be on the Blue Jays' uh, 40-man roster, whatever the roster is this day and age. Uh, they took him off, you know, and it, like you said, it fell right in Pittsburgh's lap. And the way it works is if you – when you you go in reverse order. So they have the worst – worst record in baseball, so they would be picking number one any time a player goes on a waiver wire. They would be the first club to claim him, and they did. Credit to them, and boy, this it is, and I think Derek Shelton said it well, it's it's sickening. You know, it's just, you just feel bad for this young man who, um, you know, who, who looked very promising and not knowing what the outcome ultimately would be, but you clearly liked what he was bringing to the table. You know, it really does pay in many respects, and, and I'm not suggesting that the Pirates are doing this or, or would like to have the worst record in uh, Major League Baseball throughout the course of uh, of its season, but I guess it does pay some dividends here because you get a guy like Alfred if you do have the worst record in the league. I'm not sure if the Pirates could sort of sit back here and, and, and cherry-pick some players that go through this process. I'm not sure how much activity is going to take place between now and then, but I guess the point stands that every once in a while something like this will, will fall in your lap. But it is very, very rare that a guy like Alfred uh, does wind up in your organization in this manner. Uh, just the, the benefactors uh, of roster logistics for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I wonder, Jack, how active when you're in this situation uh, you're going to try to be on the waiver claim front, sitting in the position that you are being able to claim first. Well, what you want to do is improve your roster. So when you see a guy come across on a waiver wire, you have to look at your ball club and say, is that particular player better than a piece I have on my club? And if he is, you claim him. And in some, and, and that's just really the simple part of it. So uh, you might be piecemealing it, if you will. You know, rarely do you get a blockbuster, but you never know. Sometimes it, things turn out that way. But yeah, I think in this particular case, well, well worth the gamble and a smart move to take a chance on this guy. And so that's really kind of how this whole, how that whole waiver wire issue works. And, and how does it work from the standpoint of being prepared and maybe anticipating what the other 29 teams may or may not doing? Uh, who is studying? Uh, essentially the, the ins and outs of the roster that every team has, you know, for a guy like Anthony Alford that may have been out of options. So when something like this does happen, you're in position to go ahead and, and, and make a claim. And I'm not sure what sort of time limit you have to be able to do so, but if something like a, an Alford pops up again between now and the, the rest of the year, you have to be ready to, to move, don't you, Jack? So the decision, in other words has to already be made in advance. Hey, we'd be willing to part with this particular player if we add this type of player, or at this position we have maybe a little more depth than we do at that position. So there's a lot of pre-planning, isn't there, that, that goes into this? 
Well, what it all – I mean, the way the whole thing works, Dan, is you're pretty familiar with all the clubs in baseball. You're pretty familiar with their entire 40-man roster. If it, is it still 40? I don't know what it is with the COVID thing right now. But yeah, I guess you would say 60 and yeah, you know, and with I'm the not expanded. Sure how that, sure. Which even makes it that much more crazier. So if you've got a 60-man roster, and this kid was the 61st player, if you will, on a roster, that's, that's pretty amazing that, that they thought – for whatever reason, that this guy would be that far. But it, nevertheless, the point is, once you take him off your big league club, then you send him down, then that's how he becomes eligible to be, and that's how he's on waivers. But you know everybody's organization, and you have, I think, 48 hours when a guy goes on. So you get it every day. The wires come through basically every day. It's an email. Uh, San Francisco Giants put these guys on waivers or Colorado, whoever. And you're familiar with them, and you have everybody in your organization, clearly the general manager, the assistant GM. You might even have a guy that's in charge of making sure you don't miss anybody on a waiver. And then when someone comes through that you look at it and say, hey, we need to talk about this guy, you have time to talk to people in your organization as well as look at all your reports and all that. So as much as you're prepared, you sometimes never know who's going to be put on that roster. But as I said, Dan, you're pretty familiar with most clubs' players anyhow. That's the business of baseball. That's what you do for your organization. That's what you're doing for a living. So um, did you, when you were a general manager or, you know, working in front offices, were you ever in charge of the waiver wire? Who did you particularly put in, in, in play to sort of monitor this just so you're not missing anything or an opportunity to improve your roster? Well, we always had, in our case, we had a, uh, like the head of, um, you know, our sabermetric deal would always, sabermetric group would look at it, our assistant GM would look at it, and I would look at it on a daily basis. And we would make sure we send it out to uh, all the heads of the organization, you know, the foreign director, scouting director. Maybe a guy comes across that, that you remembered him a few years back when he was a high school player, a college player somewhere. And then you begin to follow up your minor league coaches. You might talk to guys that were in the league with him a year ago. You know, so you, you're getting every bit of information you possibly can. But typically it's going to be someone right underneath you that's going to continue to monitor that at waiver wire at all times. Okay, so um, you, one, so the, the 30th place team, for lack of a better term, has 48 hours to go ahead and claim this player, or do they have to formally pass? I'm just curious as to how the steps work and the timeline each team has as you go from 30 to 29, down to 28, all the way down to then 2 and 1 what that looks like. I, I didn't know if it, it's almost like a you're on the draft clock right now to make your selection or, or before either time expires or you formally pass. Yeah, in some way, that's the way it is. I think it's 48 hours, Dan. I don't want to be quoting on They'll ask Ben that today, and I'm sure he'll comment on it. But once you get the waiver wire, technically it's an email that comes through of all the transactions of that day. And if you want to take a player, then you guys have that within that time frame. And all you have to do is submit a claim on that player. So let's say Anthony Alford, he's on that list. You look at it and you go, okay, I'm, we want to claim, let's claim this guy. You know, he's a better than somebody else on our roster. You turn in the claim. The commissioner's office then says if the club picking one doesn't claim him, the club picking two doesn't claim him, three, four, but the club picking seven claims him. And then there might be six other clubs that claim him after that. Well, the lowest ranking club in terms of standings, the worst record, they win the selection. So that's how it works. So a guy could be claimed by several clubs. 
But, again, if you, in Pittsburgh's case, when you're always picking, at least at this point in time, you have the first pick, the first selection rights, if you will, then that puts you in a pretty good spot to take anybody off of anybody's roster that you think can help your roster before anybody else can get them. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fascinating process, one that I really never understood the inner workings until you just uh, told me here, Jack. Um, I, I did understand, you know, the, the hierarchy and the order, but maybe some of the nuances, they're uh, pretty fascinating and um, makes the Alfred acquisition all the more fascinating and then the subsequent injury of a fractured right elbow last night uh, all the more disappointing. And as we hear from Derek Shelton, uh, he does give us indeed an update on Anthony Alfred uh, and that he is out for the year. Here's the skipper, his pregame remarks, which wrapped up just a moment ago, presented by Community Bank Mortgage and Home Equity Loans at your convenience. Jason Mackey, our Pirates insider from the Post-Gazette, with the first question. He's done for the season, right? Yes. Okay. Um, is it too soon to know, like, what needs to happen, prognosis? Yeah, yeah I think uh, we'll, we're continuing to evaluate. I think we just know it was a fractured elbow, and then you know, I'm assuming Todd and our medical group will get today and figure the next course of action. Okay. How do you guys plan to handle center? Is it Tucker and Martin or mostly Tucker? Or? Yeah, I think right now, I mean, you know, Tuck's going to play out there today, and then we'll kind of evaluate from there. But, I mean, obviously as Tuck's has played, he's going to continue to get reps out there. Shelty, how has Tucker – I know we've – I feel like we've maybe belabored this, but, like, where's his evolution at? Like, what what else would you like to see from him the rest? Center yeah, I think the big thing is going to be uh, reads and breaks, and that's for any infielder that goes to the outfielder. It goes to the outfield. That's big, been the will be the biggest transition in terms of how he how he breaks off the ball. And, and then the other challenging thing, and this is on me, is that he's playing both right and left. So it's different reads, it's different spin of the ball, and that's why he and Tark are working a lot on it. But the the biggest thing is going to be the reads and breaks on on the ball. Okay, I'm curious. We we talked about this a little bit with Oscar yesterday, but uh, Kyle Crick getting in a game again. I'm just curious if last night's kind of proof of you know the way that he can be effective with a little bit of diminished velocity right now. And is it your sense too that that is going to come back farther removed he gets from the injury? Yeah, the, for the second part of that, 100%. I think his velocity is going to come back. I think we just have to keep you know getting him out there, get him on. I actually thought last night the ball came out of his hand better. You know, I, I know. You know, I think it was more consistently at 91, but I thought he spun the ball better. I thought the ball came out better. It was a really encouraging sign. And, and last night he threw some really good sliders, like probably as good as sliders as we've seen all year. And then the ones that he threw that, <clears throat> that weren't very good, I, I just think he overthrew. I don't think he overthrew. I know from talking to him he felt was feeling good about it and spun some good ones and then tried to spin them a little more. And as we all know, that doesn't work for any pitcher. But last night was a really encouraging uh, step forward for, for Kyle. Derek, I know that 2021 is a long way off, and a lot can happen between now and then. But is, is Tucker a, 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 a permanent a center and outfielder as you can have right now? He's going to play outfield for the rest of the season, at least. Oh, yeah, yeah, and the next now and next year. Yeah, I think he'll still play the times. I mean, I know he hasn't been out there, you know, lately. But uh, you know, going into next year, we still see him playing multiple positions. He's obviously a really talented athlete. Has he done anything, though, this past year to take reps in the infield, like either with Joey before the game, to make sure that he's not getting rusty out there? Oh, yeah. He takes ground balls every day. Uh, I shouldn't say every day. The days that he plays the outfield, I think he does the outfield stuff. When he doesn't play, he'll take ground balls uh, with Joey. 
All right, so there's Derek Shelton, his pregame remarks uh, wrapping up just a moment ago. And I uh, should inform you of the transaction that was made official uh, right as we were going on air with Anthony Alford being placed on the 45-day injured list with the right elbow fracture. Jason Martin is officially back up uh, from the uh, club's alternate training site in Altoona. Uh, Martin, his second stint with the Pirates, a couple of starts in center, um, and he, he made the start on the 28th and the 30th of August. He's uh, hitless in six at-bats. Uh, a lot of talk uh, on Cole Tucker there, Jack, as to uh, him being maybe a permanent center fielder. I, I do want to ask you when we return, what do you do with Cole Tucker here moving forward? Should he be the permanent center fielder? Derek Shelton almost, uh, it seemed as if, and I don't want to put words in, in his mouth or take anything out of context, but uh, you know, saying that it's on me, the, the fact that you know Tucker's perhaps lack of evolution or maybe not being able to achieve what he could potentially achieve to its fullest as a center fielder may be sort of uh, uh, held back by uh, him playing right field as well. And I do want to ask you if this is something that uh, go ahead uh, and and maybe just scrap the whole right field thing. So I guess uh, we'll just open up a conversation when we return uh, about Cole Tucker, what you should do with him with these remaining games, and then into 2021. Uh, he hasn't played uh, hardly any infield this year. Is that the right move as well? So the, the what to do with Cole Tucker question uh, when we come back. Our pitching matchup today, it's Chad Cool on the hill for the Pirates, opposite of rookie right-hander T.J. Antone, an interesting guy, 26-year-old rookie who will make his third Major League start. We'll get into that when we return, plus a significant date in Major League Baseball history. We'll tell you about that as we continue our coverage of Pirates-Reds, Game 4 of this series here at PNC Park, and we're in advance of Ben Charrington's radio show coming your way at 1235. So stay with us. I'm Dan Zangbrilli with Jack Zarensic. Pre-game coverage brought to you by J.P. Roofing and Siding. It's Dan Zangrilli and Jack Zarensic on the air, getting you ready for uh, Pirates and Reds Game 4 of the series after the Pirates fell last night by a 6-2 score with Trevor Williams on the hill. They split a doubleheader on Friday, so 135 first pitch over at the ballpark as Chad Cool takes the hill opposite of T.J. Antone, rookie right-hander. That's our pitching matchup brought to you by PIA School for Aviation, Maintenance, and Electronics. More on that here in just a moment. But um, if fans were allowed in, boy, it would be a perfect afternoon for baseball, up to about 77 degrees, perfect temperatures uh, for this uh, game here against the 12 and, 6, uh, 12 and 26 Pirates. 18 and 22, the Cincinnati Reds. Weather forecast, by the way, from Weather Seal Home Services. Um, so, pitching matchup, Jack. TJ Antone uh, making his third major league start, 26 year old rookie, Texas. Uh, good bloodlines. Dad played uh, on a national championship team for the Oklahoma Sooners back in 1975. Also played baseball for OU, high school teammate of Noah Syndergaard. So, um, he, he's the real deal, and uh, he seems very comfortable at the major league level here um, after being here for just a well, handful of weeks. So he's a kid from Mansfield, Texas, which is the Metroplex area of uh, Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, junior college, uh, uh, same junior college as guess who? Uh, a pirate nemesis for years. Oh, man, I, I haven't a clue. Jake Arietta. Oh, well, yeah, he's public enemy number one. Who could forget that? <laughs> How about that one, huh? Yeah, so big guy, um, you know, 6'4", 230 pounds, drafted in the fifth round in 2014. So, you know, now he is, as you stated, what, 26-year-old guy, making his, uh, 
you know, trying to cut his teeth and become a big league pitcher. So we'll see. I mean, they they run some physical guys out there pitching wise, don't they? They do, and uh, you know, they are the embodiment of the three true outcomes that dominate baseball right now, Jack. Uh, they hit their fair share of home runs. We saw that last night, but uh, you also look at them. They're 29th in Major League Baseball with a 2.14 batting average. But from the, the the pitching side of things, they lead the big leagues. Uh, 331 in the third innings, 407 strikeouts. So to your point, yes, big guys that uh, uh, big donkeys, right? The throw fuzz, as Tony Sanchez used to say, that the Pirates had uh, in their bullpen. Big donkeys that throw fuzz, and and that's what the uh, that's what the Reds are right now. Um, and it's a, it's crazy to me that they sit here uh, at 18 and 22. Uh, with the Cubs, Cardinals, and Brewers all better than them. I, I just think that it's uh, really c- kind of a failure here. You're hitting the ball out of the ballpark. You're striking people out. That is typically the elixir here uh, in, in modern-day baseball to, to get it done. And we scratched our head the other day looking at Luis Castillo, who hadn't won a game coming into the game on Friday night. We're saying, How did that happen? You know, he's 0-5, but he did get one, get, got a win Friday night. So, um yeah, it is. You know, you look at them, and I'm not sure if it's defense. Uh, they did have some injuries. You know, Mustakis was out for quite a while with some, with some injuries. And I think you look at some of the other guys in their lineup, and, and they're, they're not stellar at the few off positions. But as you stated, they can drive the baseball. And, and Joey Votto's having a down year, you know, hitting, what, 235. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think when you start dissecting them, yep. They got some big arms. They got some good pitchers. They do some. They hit the ball out of the ballpark, but it just doesn't seem like it's a complete club. Chad Cool, one and one, three ten earned run average. Start number six, game number eight for Cool. Gave up a season high four runs last time out against the Cubs, going just four plus. Um, one of his poorer starts by his standards. Uh, the walks have sort of crept up in his last three outings. He's issued nine free passes. The strikeouts have gone down where he's uh, struck out just five batters in what uh, equates to be 15-plus innings of work after he really was missing a lot of bats there. Start against Detroit, start against the Reds. He'd struck out 13, the two combined starts, over nine innings. But again, those last three starts, for whatever reason, the spin just doesn't seem to be there for Chad Cool, where he's getting the swing and miss that he was early on. Yeah, and you wonder, you know, coming off the injury that he had, uh, now he's back into pitching on a regular basis. You know, do you get to a period, I think, where you might get a little bit of a dead arm type of deal mm-hmm. without all the extended spring training and stuff, you know, possibly. But he's got a good arm. I mean, I've been impressed overall with the stuff that he has, and I think it's just a matter of him getting his feet on the ground and continuing to get the ball and pitch. You know, uh, J.T. Brubaker is a guy that you look forward to every fifth day just to, to see what's going to be around the corner there. A lot of intrigue, but for me, Chad Cool is right up there with, uh, well, what would have been Mitch Keller taking the ball every fifth day before his injury, even more so than guys like uh, Joe Musgrove uh, and the like. So uh, it is Chad Cool opposite of T.J. Antone, pair of right-handers. Uh, by the way, uh, Chad Cool coming up on his two-year anniversary of Tommy John's surgery. Um, uh, let's take the, this conversation that we were uh, about to discuss before we went to break. Derek Shelton's comments uh, about Cole Tucker. He said that ah, it's sort of on me that uh, he, he's playing right field and center field, splitting his time there, not being able to concentrate on one position as he transitions from the, the infield to the outfield, which I really think, Jack, he's done a very good job at doing uh, as he learns the nuances. 
Um, now that Anthony Alford is on the 45-day IL, officially out for the year with the fractured right elbow, Jason Martin, by the way, for those just tuning in, has taken his roster spot today. Um, what do you do with Cole Tucker moving forward? Do you make him the center fielder? Do you play him there exclusively? Uh, quite frankly, I'm okay with with Tucker playing the outfield, but I want this to be center field. That's where his value is going to be. I don't see much value in him bouncing over to right field. Do you? None at all. I mean, I, I, if this guy's your right fielder in the future, you're in trouble as an organization, There's, unless you've got Ken Griffey in center field and some bopper in left field, you know. So it's a power position, and, and this guy's not that. You know, he's an athlete. He can run. He can throw. Um, and, and center field, if this guy is going to help your organization at all, it's either going to be as a center fielder or maybe even a utility guy because if you start looking at the shortstop position, which he's not playing, you've got Gonzalez and Newman in a pecking order, and then your number one pick this year was a college shortstop. So you start looking at the organization as a whole, and you're thinking, where does Cole Tucker fit? Well, center field might be the only place that he really, really fits as a chance to be an everyday player. So, you know, and you're going to have these issues with him here and there. He misjudges the ball here or there. The other day he pulled up on a ball that was kind of a tweener, be him and a shortstop. These are things that you're going to see out of him. But he's transitioning, I think, decently, and he should get better. Um, Yeah, and, I mean, if he's going to help you, that's where he's going to help you. What does the bat project to be? Jack, uh, I'm, I'm still learning that. I mean, he's hitting 242. He's hit a bomb. He's got seven runs driven in. It's not going to knock your socks off. But I, I wonder what the true offensive potential is there. You know, I can't look at this and what I've seen out of him last year and this year and say that this guy's going to really hit. I, I don't see that. You know, it's a guy that um, puts the bat on a ball. He can run uh, kind of a line drive slap hitter. There's some power in there. But, you know, he doesn't have that big home run type of swing. It's more of an arm swinger where hit the ball and run like heck. And I think that's going to be his calling. How good of a hitter he's going to be, uh, still, I think it still remains to be seen. I, I mean, I can't look at this swing and say, man, I'm really excited about what this guy is going to become offensively. I think it's a work in progress. Yeah, so if there's to be any sort of regular major league playing time down the road or if he really is to help you as a a solution, so to speak. There's got to be some significant OBP there. There's probably got to be some significant stolen bases, one would suspect, correct? Well, he's going to have to do other things for you. Like, number one, he's better really be a good defender for you. And like you said, steal, bunt, you know, slap the ball. Every once in a while, hit in the gap. Maybe get the ball in the air occasionally. But, you know, I don't look at him and say, this guy's going to be a, a consistent double-digit home runs. And, you know, center field's a place. You start looking around really good ball clubs and who plays center field for really good clubs. There have been some really good players out there that can play at both ends of the game, offensively, defensively, and end with power. And Pirates are trying to literally create one with Cole Tucker, who is in the lineup again at center field uh, uh, and hitting eighth today. The rest of the Pirates lineup is Eric Gonzalez at shortstop, Adam Frazier at second base, Brian Reynolds is in left field. Colin Moran plays first base. Gregory Polanco in right. Josh Bell, the DH, he'll hit sixth. Thoughts on Josh Bell in the sixth spot of the batting order, Jay-Z? You know, you asked me Friday night to compare this guy to somebody, and I got to thinking about it, and I needed to watch him for a few days, and I have. And I think the closest comp I can come up to was is Ryan Zimmerman with the Washington Nationals. When Ryan Zimmerman was at the University of Virginia, he, I think he was, in fact, I posit he was the best third baseman defensively that I've ever scouted. I mean, he was so good defensively. 
And he didn't have a lot of power. It was amazing. You look at his numbers at the University of Virginia, although that was a big, big ballpark. And then he went to the big leagues at the age of 20. That's the same year they drafted him. They brought him up in September because he was a, a local kid, if you will. And, uh, you know, and I, I look at how what, what Hayes could be. He's 23. Uh, he may not have the long-term power that Zimmerman has, but I can see him being a contributor along the lines of Orion Zimmerman, clearly defensively. And that's what Zimmerman was. I mean, he came up, he was defense first, offense second. Um, but he had some pretty good offensive years in terms of home runs. So maybe this guy could develop that kind of offense, but I, that's, that's my comp with him. Yeah, so Josh Bell hitting sixth, then Key Brian Hayes, Young Hayes in that seventh spot of the batting order, playing third base with Cole Tucker in center. John Ryan Murphy is the catcher. Pirates um, are actually six and five with him behind the dish. Catcher's ERA is pretty good. That was a topic of conversation with Derek Shelton in his pregame chat with the media earlier today. So that's the Pirates lineup. David Bell will run out. Joey Votto at uh, the, the leadoff spot as the designated hitter. Nick Castellanos, right fielder, followed by left fielder Jesse Winker, and Eugenio Suarez at third base. So two, three, and four hitters for Cincinnati. Eleven homers, ten homers, twelve home runs. And how about A. Eugenio Suarez, Jack? If I were to tell you that over the last calendar year in Major League Baseball, nobody has more home runs than A. Eugenio Suarez. He leads the majors since August 1 of 2019, with 32 home runs. Would you believe me if I told you that statistic? Well, I would have hit 49 last year, I think. I mean, it was, uh, a lot. Here's, yeah, here's, here's the thing with him. I mean, Dan, this is what we talk about when you're trying to build a ball club. This guy was, was traded for. He was a Detroit Tiger that came to this organization. And all of a sudden, Cincinnati looked up, and they think, wow, in a deal, this guy might have been the best player they got in the deal. So this is how sometimes things can turn around for you quickly. If you make a good acquisition, and it turns out to be what this guy is for your club. So that's why I think you look at Pittsburgh, and you say, you've got to trust what Ben's trying to do. And uh, maybe, he'll get, maybe he'll get fortunate and end up uncovering somebody like Enzino, uh, Eugenio Suarez. Yeah, and even Castellanos, right? He was just a big doubles guy playing at Comerica, and you uh, do the ballpark overlay, and you see how that translates in Cincinnati. He has 11 and 25. Uh, hitting fifth is Mike Mustakis at first base, Brian uh, Goodwin, uh, followed by Freddie Galvis at second, Kyle Farmer is at second, and Kurt Casale is the catcher. They'll all be backing up T.J. Antone on the mound for the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Those are our starting lineups. Well, coming up next, uh, we'll discuss one of the most important days in uh, Major League Baseball history. It happened 25 years ago today. What is it? We'll discuss it when we return, so do stay with us. It's the J.P. Roofing and Siding pregame show in advance of Pirates Reds coming up at PNC Park 135, but we're just uh, under 20 minutes away from General Manager Ben Charrington's radio show. With Jack Zarenzik, I'm Dan Zangrilli. Stay with us here on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Thanks for being with us here on this uh, Sunday afternoon for Pirates Reds coming up at uh, 135. It's Chad Cool on the hill opposite of rookie right-hander TJ Antone who'll face the Pirates for the first time. If you're just joining us, Anthony Alford's season is officially over, uh, playing center field for the Pirates last night. Uh, just recently acquired from the Toronto Blue Jays on a waiver claim, uh, 26-year-old, high upside, looking for his first opportunity to play on a regular basis at the big league level. A lot to like about Anthony Alford falling in the Pirates' lap. Everything was uh, uh, just too good to be true, quite frankly, and uh, the snake-bitten Pirates will lose another 
to a season-ending injury. Anthony Alford officially out for the season with that fractured right elbow crashing into the center field wall last night. Cole Tucker is in center field today, but Jason Martin is back up with the big club uh, from the, the satellite site to, in Altoona. So that's the uh, the latest news and notes. If you're just tuning us in for the fourth game of the series, which the Reds lead two games to one, uh, the Pirates are two and three against Cincinnati so far this year. Uh, let's go inside the numbers quickly presented by our friends at Klein, Keppel, and Koryak, certified public accountants. So um, Pirates are starting to actually... Swing the bats a little bit. Uh, some guys in particular that are at the top of the order today. Uh, Eric Gonzalez, Jack, continues three hits uh, yesterday, extending his hit streak to seven games in which he's hitting 370 over that time, 10 out of 27. Adam Frazier is starting to, to really pick it up. He has the exact same uh, stretch here, 10 of his last 27, also 370, though he has hit safely in nine straight games. Frazier, I think, has established himself to be what he is, and you can expect that essentially year after year, which is a pretty good quality, bona fide major league hitter. He's probably going to be a little bit below average from what his counterparts are at the position that he plays. However, Eric Gonzalez, more intriguing, more intriguing. I mean, by all accounts, this is the Pirates' leadoff hitter for the rest of the way, and dare we say the Pirates' shortstop of the future. Well, it's hard to argue. I mean, you think about what this guy's done this year. I mean, he's a really good athlete. Um, he's got range. He's very versatile. But at shortstop, he's got all the tools to play that position. Strong arm, good hands, good range. The thing that I've been impressed with is his approach at the plate. I mean, he gets up there to hit, and he looks like a hitter. He's got more power than I think any of us thought. He can juice a baseball, and he's really produced nicely for you. So this, to me... Uh, we say a lot about a lot of different things, but this might be the biggest surprise of the entire year if this is your shortstop going forward, and he looks like he's staking claim for that. Yep. Uh, as you watch Pirates baseball in 2020, you're looking for those success stories, or at least you're trying to create them, uh, players evolving and taking the next step, next step in their career. Gonzalez certainly is top of the list. Stallings is there. I mean, heck, uh, of the nine hitters that the Pirates are rolling out there this afternoon, 17 runs driven in for Eric Gonzalez. That's the most in the lineup from your leadoff spot. That's two more than Gregory Polanco, 15. That's three more than Josh Bell, 14. So just to put into perspective uh, either what Gonzalez is doing or maybe what the other two aren't doing, um, hey, Colin Moran has seven home runs, 13 runs driven in. So uh, Eric Gonzalez is one of those big bright spots. Uh, also a bright spot of late, and it's really good to see, frankly, uh, as you try to figure out and develop a bullpen jack, we're seeing some traction beginning going back to August 20th. So we're looking at a two-and-a-half-week sample size, essentially. Pirates bullpen, a sub-three earned run average, opposing batting average at 199. Um, that's against the 18 games that they've played over that time. ERA, uh, second lowest in the senior circuit, fourth lowest in Major League Baseball. So there's some traction in the bullpen that is starting to pick up there. And all of the issues that we saw and a lot of the forehead uh, into the palm of your hand moments that plagued the Pirates in the beginning of the year, those are starting to wane. And Jeff Hartlieb stepping up. Kyle Crick had a good outing last time. Richard Rodriguez has been... I think okay. Um, so we're starting to see some some good stuff at long last. 
it's true. Uh, it is small sample sizes. You know, guys can get on a roll for two weeks, three weeks, or a month. We've seen that a lot. You know, to me, it's still a six-month baseball season next year. And although you like some of the things you're seeing, it's growth and it's it's positives. But bullpens are very vulnerable from year to year. So, um, you know, take, take the good where you get the good and see what happens going forward. But guys are staking claim for ownership in certain parts of that bullpen. Also, Inside the Numbers, presented by Klein, Keppel, and Koryak, certified public accountants, is a dual segment as we go around Major League Baseball, and it's uh, what we have going on in uh, uh, big league history today. That's presented by Fox Chapel Advanced Dental Care, creating beautiful smiles. So, Cal Ripken, Jack, can you believe it? 25 years ago was 2131, where he broke the Iron Horses streak, the Iron Man. They say that it's now the most unbeatable, unbreakable record in not only baseball, but all of sports. His consecutive games played streak, he surpassed Lou Gehrig September 6th, 1995 at Camden Yards. I'm not sure if you have an antidote, a story. Do you remember where you were? Were you watching that game? It's certainly one of the most uh, jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring things that we talk about in the game of baseball in retrospect. The thing I remember most about that whole deal was how how well Baltimore uh, received that that week when he was going to it, and how they honored him and him running around the field, high fiving everybody, and the big banners that dropped down, you know, counting off the games played. And I think you're right, Dan. This may be the the most difficult record ever to break in all of sports. So um, just since he broke that streak in the last 25 years, we talk about games played streaks. The longest uh, belongs to Prince Fielder at 547 games, Jack. That's your guy. You drafted him. Uh, he had a 547. He had a 327 um, before he, he uh, essentially broke down in, uh, in, in, in Texas there. But nevertheless, uh, you, you picked the guy that's come the second closest. And that's the funny, that is so funny because, you know, you think about the criticism when we picked Fielder, you know, there were people, ah, you know, he's short, he's fat, you know, blah, blah, blah. But second place is that far behind Cal Ripken. That tells you something about Cal Ripken. (laughs) It does. 547, which was broken in May of 2014. He had 327. That broke in September of 2010. Hunter Pence also had a 468 streak. Uh, right now, the, the game's played leader consecutively is Whit Merrifield of the uh, Kansas City Royals, which started back in June of uh, 2018. He played 158 games last year, uh, two years ago. He played in all 162 in 19, and he's played so far in all 40 this year. Freddie Galvis, actually, in the Reds lineup, had a, a streak of 349 games consecutive, uh, but which pales in comparison to Cal Ripken, who 25 years ago tonight uh, was able to uh, surpass the Iron Horse Lou Gehrig. 25 years ago, hard to imagine. All right, uh, Jack, what do you say? Uh, We've got to get to it here. We are up against it. So pick to perform as the Pirates try to draw even in the series. I'll take the hot end, Eric Gonzalez. All right, very good. Then uh, I'm going to go Adam Frazier then, um, because both are, what, 10 of their last 27. So we'll see whose 10 of 27 is better against rookie right-hander T.J. Antone, as Chad Cool opposes. It's the Pirates in Reds, the fourth and final game of the series. But stand by, coming up next on the other side of this break, it's the Ben Sherrington Show, as the Bucko general manager will have a lot to discuss, I'm sure, trade deadline and also the season-ending injury to Anthony Alford. I'll be back with you for post-game coverage of Pirates Reds, wins, wins, 
win, lose, or drop. For Jack Zorenzik, Dan Zangrilli, thanks so much for being with us here on the J.P. Roofing and Siding pregame show. Special thanks to Matt Harkins as well. Stand by. The GM is next here on The Fan. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.